welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I have one friend who loves my podcast. I say this not as a matter of pride, although it's a teeny bit there. Truth is, though, her response to the program rather surprises me as I make no bones about being just as ordinary as anyone else is in terms of being a Catholic and my understanding of the faith, although I do read about it and with constant falls try to practice it. I'm really talking to myself as well as well as to anyone who might be listening because I am struggling, mightily struggling, frankly, with the same things she and other Catholics are. My friend reads the Bible. She loves Bishop Sheen, as I do, to me one of the great prophets about the times in which we now live. I'm humbled that she looks at this podcast, really I am, as one avenue of making her think about the faith, as well as me and anyone else who might be listening. She often calls me after a podcast episode, and we talk about our journey in the faith, its ups, its downs. She's a transplanted New Yorker, like me, and when she gets interested in something, it's intense. I guess, also like me. So, she was reading the New Testament about a moment that Jesus gives Peter authority over the church, which is the Bride of Christ, and through which we receive the visible signs of Jesus' presence until the end of time, through the sacraments, especially the Mass and Confession. She asked me about Matthew 16, the section specifically in which Jesus talks about Peter and the other apostles having the authority to loose and to bind, but also the part where he gives the keys of the kingdom specifically to Peter. The phrase loose and bind is kind of antithetical to the way we talk today in modern times. What does it mean? What is being loosed and bound? I was a little caught off guard and embarrassed because I didn't have a great answer at the top of my head. And even hearing her say the words loose and bind, I was kind of at a loss myself. I'm a modern person. It's not the way we talk now. And like all things biblical, you really do need to be what I'm not. Something of a scholar, something of a linguist to understand the distinctions between Aramaic and Greek and Latin that all comprise translations of the Bible over centuries. So first I disclaimed, of course, <clears throat> and said, well, remember, I am not an expert, but this is what I think that this was part of the authority given by Jesus to Peter and to his apostles, but with Peter being prime, the boss, as it were, in Jesus's place instead, his representative, because here also he does the speech about Peter being the rock and, as I said, giving him the keys of the kingdom. So there's a lot going on there. I also, and I think not really correctly, suggested that loosing and binding also involves sin and its forgiveness. Yes, as I came to read, and no, it's broader than that. And the powers, if you will, given to the apostles is mentioned in different parts of the New Testament, not only in Matthew, 
but also in John and in Luke. So, as usual, I went on one of those digs through Google, which is not a perfect thing to do, but what I try to do is look toward Catholic discussions, because after all, I'm talking about the Catholic thoughts on these subjects. I look at things like the Catechism, which is a key area, the current Catechism, the Catechism of the Council of Trent, the Statements of the Bishops, the USCCB, Council of Bishops, because the explanations are in fact there over the writings of centuries and even in things accessible to us right now. That's what, in part, makes Catholicism so amazing in that we don't have like a thousand different people making a decision as to what is true. Now, certainly in modern times, each of us we have found are doing or trying to do precisely just that. And that's a problem because then everybody decides what's true about the faith. The marvelous thing about Catholicism is that we have the magisterium. We have the teaching authority, which is precisely what is this is about, that Jesus gave to Peter and his 12 the teaching authority of the church. And all we have to do is discover it and follow it and, and make the effort to see that this is part of God's plan from the beginning. We've got more available to us in many ways to be properly catechized in the faith, and yet, as Catholics, we are less than we used to be when we were learning by rote. You always heard the complaint, oh, Catholics don't let their people read the Bible, but even if that were true, which is somewhat the case, but not the case in the sense that all of the readings at the Mass are from the Bible. But let's say for a second that was true. Well, you have plenty of ability to read the Bible right now. The Bible is available, more available than it ever was, and yet people are reading it, Catholics are reading it less, it appears. And when I was kind of looking at the different sections that relate to the authority of the apostles when I was preparing for this podcast, well, there's a lot of other secondary sources around, Catholic secondary sources. For example, there's this um, company or entity called Formed, which many parishes use, many programs about the faith, about catechesis, about various saints, about the popes. It's a wonderful resource, and in fact, I looked at one when I was preparing this program. It was a multi-chaptered program called Forgiven, the Transforming Power of Confession. And the particular one I looked at was Biblical Foundations. And since I was looking mostly at the New Testament, because you can look all the way back into the Old Testament and get some of the prehistory of it. But I was focusing on the particular section. So there's plenty out there for us to look at if we really, really, really want to take the time to understand our faith and meditate on it. Again, I want to be clear, I'm talking to myself as well as to anyone else who might be listening. Reading just a line doesn't get you anything. You have to read the whole thing in context. So let me read from the Douay Rems, my current favorite translation, the whole of chapter 16 because it starts essentially with the Sadducees and the Pharisees doing their thing, hassling Jesus, looking for signs, 
And Jesus reminds the apostles of the limits, the weaknesses of their teachings, and perhaps even the limits of the authority of the men who were challenging him, and how Jesus, in beginning the church, is giving his meaningful authority to Peter and the apostles as God's representatives. So this is the whole thing, the contextual. Chapter 16. And there came to him the Pharisees and Sadducees tempting, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today there will be a storm, for the sky is red and lowering. You know then how to discern the face of the sky, and can you not know the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and a sign shall not be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. And he left them and went away. And when his disciples were come over the water, they had forgotten to take bread, who said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But they thought within themselves, saying, Because we have taken no bread. And Jesus, knowing it, said, Why do you think within yourselves, O ye of little faith, for that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand, neither do you remember, the five loaves among five thousand men, and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves among four thousand men, and how many baskets you took up? Why do you not understand that it was not concerning bread, I said to you, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he said not that they should beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And Jesus came into the quarters of Caesarea's Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man is? But they said, Some, John the Baptist, and others, some, Elias, and others Jeremiah's, or one of the prophets. Jesus saith to them, But whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answering said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind upon earth, it shall be bound also in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, it shall be loosed also in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the ancients and scribes and chief priests, and be put to death, and the third day rise again. And Peter, taking him, began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, be it far from thee, this shall not be unto thee. Who turning said to Peter, Go behind me, Satan, thou art a scandal unto me, because thou savorest not the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For he that will save his life shall lose it, and he that shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. 
For what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own soul? Or what exchange shall a man give for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will he render to every man according to his works. Amen, I say to you, there are some of them that stand here that shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Wow, there's a whole lot going on there. First, it's the Sadducees and the Pharisees challenging him, and then he explains the authority he has and the authority he is giving, and it's very broad authority. In fact, in this Douay Rums, there's a very lovely footnote about what is happening there. Here's just a snippet. So that, by the plain course of the words, Peter is here declared to be the rock upon which the church was to be built, Christ himself being both the principal foundation and founder of the same. We also note that Christ, by building his house, that is, his church, upon a rock, has thereby secured it against all storms and floods, like the wise builder. That is, the powers of darkness and whatever Satan can do, either by himself or his agents, for as the church here is likened to a house or a fortress built on a rock, so the adverse powers are likened to a contrary house or a fortress, the gates of which, that is, the whole strength and all the efforts it can make, will never be able to prevail over the city or church of Christ. Peter becomes the chief pastor, ruler, and governor, and has all the fullness of ecclesiastical power, signified by the keys of the kingdom. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 553, adds this, Jesus entrusted a specific authority to Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The power of the keys designates authority to govern the house of God, which is the church. Jesus, the good shepherd, confirmed this mandate after his resurrection, feed my sheep. That's the point, by the way, here, is that just reading this one section doesn't give you the full flavor. It gives you a big flavor, but it doesn't give you the full flavor. you got to read the whole of the New Testament because the feed my sheep part comes after the resurrection. This comes before the resurrection, before his crucifixion. Going back to the quote of 553, the power to bind and loose connotes the authority to absolve sins, to pronounce doctrinal judgments, and to make disciplinary decisions in the church. Jesus entrusted this authority to the church through the ministry of the apostles, and in particular through the ministry of Peter, the only one to whom he specifically entrusted the keys of the kingdom. This section is like a wave from the past to the present to the future to timelessness itself to the eternal. So in a way, what Jesus is doing here is even bigger than just the forgiveness of sins, which is, of course, big in and of itself. But it's about the entire authority that Jesus is giving, his authority, to Peter and the apostles. So here's one of those kind of Woo moments. I have Alexa, and my wake word isn't Alexa. And I didn't use the wake word at all as I was reading some of this material to you. And just as I stopped, my Alexa started talking to me about the apostles, even though I didn't use the wake word.
Now that's scary from several perspectives, but in light of what I'm doing right now, it really kind of, mm, I don't know, is our Lord sending a small locution of some kind and about what? You know, I realize reading all of this, how lame my explanation was to my friend. And I'm pretty sure that my thoughts on these subjects or attempted explanations for what something like this means are not nuanced. I knew that before. I read something recently, though, which is the result of my trying to commit to an hour a day doing um, part of an Ignatian retreat effectively with online guidance about one of the effects of original sin. Our progenitors, our first parents, were in really such communion with God when they were in the garden before they disobeyed the command not to eat of the one lousy little tree among so many. They knew God. They could walk with him. They were a perfect amalgam of body and soul, undefiled. And then when they sinned, disorder overtook us. One of the things is that we can't seem to retain our knowledge of God. And our understanding became disordered and fragmented and troubled. So here I am, you know, trying to explain something that I think I know about, retaining what I've read and then worse, when I'm called upon to speak, rarely to evangelize, I can't articulate well what I've read over and over and thought I understood. It's like losing the dream that was so clear when you were having it as soon as you wake up. So, as usual, when I was speaking to my friend, I wanted to be clear and accurate, but I realized as I was speaking, I probably wasn't. The good news is that it became clear to her, I think, that this loosing and binding isn't something for you and I to do, that this was particularly given to Peter, to what we have come to call the Pope and the Apostles, what we might call our bishops and priests through our Pope and ultimately through God. All power, as we can see here, comes from God, not from any human being. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I suppose, just in passing, I was thinking that the other thing you see in this comprehensive segment of the Gospel of Matthew is that human nature always causes a problem. Because even after Peter has acknowledged that this is Christ and has received this power, he's now trying to prevent Jesus from fulfilling the command of his Father. Human concupiscence, weakness, still raises its ugly head even with the Bishop of Rome or who will become the Bishop of Rome. He's not at this point. So maybe we should cut someone like our current Pope or our prior Popes a break because after all, they are human just like Peter. Another of the paragraphs, if you will, or chapters comes from John just after Jesus is resurrected and Mary Magdalene finds him and then he goes to the room, the upper room, where everybody is hiding in fear. Jesus comes and stands in their midst. And this starts at chapter 20, paragraph 19. Now, when it was late, the same day, the first of the week, and the doors were shut where the disciples were gathered together for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples therefore were glad when they saw the Lord. He said therefore to them again, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them, and whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. This is the time when Thomas was not there, and then he comes and puts his fingers in the marks of Jesus in his hands, his feet, and his side. So what we seem to have is the authority of the church given to Peter before the crucifixion, and he's still not understanding what the heck is going on, Peter that is, and he's telling our Lord, no, no, don't go to Jerusalem, don't do what you've come to do. So he really still doesn't understand. And these are my words, I guess the deal gets sealed after the resurrection and you have the particulars of forgiving sins. It sounds a lot like you have the power to loose and bind, you have the power to retain and not retain, but they're slightly different, at least that's how I'm reading it. So let me go back to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Part 1, The Profession of Faith, Section 2, The Profession of the Christian Faith, Chapter 3, I Believe in the Holy Spirit, Article 10, I Believe in the Forgiveness of Sins. 976, the Apostles' Creed associates faith in the forgiveness of sins not only with faith in the Holy Spirit, but also with faith in the Church and the communion of saints. It was when he gave the Holy Spirit to his Apostles that the risen Christ, that's in John, that the risen Christ conferred on them his own divine power to forgive sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. At section 981, talking about the power of the keys that was given in Matthew, they say, After his resurrection, Christ sent his apostles so that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. The apostles and their successors carry out this, quote, ministry of reconciliation, not only by announcing to men God's forgiveness merited for us by Christ and calling them to conversion and faith, but also by communicating to them the forgiveness of sins in baptism and reconciling them with God and with the church through the power of the keys received from Christ. So you have before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, and after the resurrection that these things become I don't know, manifest or perhaps clearer to the apostles. And here's another powerful statement at 982. There is no offense, however serious, that the church cannot forgive. There is no one, however wicked and guilty, who may not confidently hope for forgiveness, provided his repentance is honest. Christ, who died for all men, desires that in his church the gates of forgiveness should always be open to anyone who turns away from sin. As I read this, my thought went to the phrase, there is no salvation outside Christ. He opens the door to everyone. Here's another powerful statement at 983. Catechesis strives to awaken and nourish in the faithful faith in the incomparable greatness of the risen Christ's gift to his church, the mission and the power to forgive sins through the ministry of the apostles and their successors. The Lord wills that his disciples possess a tremendous power, that his lowly servants accomplish in his name all that he did when he was on earth. Priests have received from God a power that he has given neither to angels nor to archangels, God above confirms what priests do here below. Were there no forgiveness of sins in the church, there would be no hope of life to come or eternal liberation. Let us thank God who has given his church 
such a gift. So I guess pre-crucifixion, Jesus was establishing Peter and the apostles as the leaders of the church on earth once he would be gone. And of course, at this point, they didn't quite understand any of this. After his resurrection, he is very specific about confession, if you will, reconciliation. And then he also again reminds everybody, including Peter, I assume, that he is going to be the head of the church or that he is once Jesus is gone. But he only has the power that God has given him. He doesn't have any power of his own. Jesus remains present in the church which Peter heads as his representative on earth. Jesus provides sacraments like reconciliation to assist Peter, the subsequent apostles, the subsequent popes, those of us who are in the church, those of us who seek to be in the church, so that we will continue to follow him, Jesus. Apropos specifically of confession, the specific ministry, one of the seven sacraments, paragraph 1461 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, Since Christ entrusted to his apostles the ministry of reconciliation, bishops who are their successors and priests, the bishop's collaborators, continue to exercise this ministry Indeed, bishops and priests, by virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, have the power to forgive all sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I suppose that the loosing and binding that you see in Matthew, which is very general and broad and all-encompassing of what Jesus is doing by naming Peter as his authority on earth, Jesus' authority, power only through Jesus, and then more to the specific of, say, the forgiveness of sins in John. Even as Jesus is here, you see the developmental elements of the Catholic Church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The founder is God. You know, the thing that I learned from doing this podcast and from even preparing these podcasts is that old Greek phrase that it's the beginning of wisdom to know that you know nothing. There's a wealth of stuff, of divine stuff for us to discover. If anything, doing this particular podcast has given me a little bit of hope in terms of the survival of the church that Jesus gave authority to through Peter. God's power will endure notwithstanding our weaknesses. The failings of the men and women in the church are nothing compared to the power that God has given in loosing and binding to the church through the apostles. We do worry, but we ought not worry because Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. He said so when he gave Peter the keys of the kingdom. Talk about only scratching the surface. There's so much for us to learn about the richness of our faith that's another thing that this wonderful experience of doing this podcast has given to me. So all I'd say is go out and read and pray and meditate on the wonders of our faith.